Bueller. Are you better off than you were four years ago? I want my MTV. I want my MTV. Shall we play Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Come back with me to the 1980s and the roller coaster ride that was my high school experience. I lived a John Hughes life, and some of the celebrity vocal talent I've assembled to take you on this journey helped to give us all that 80s good time vibe. The names have been changed to protect the not so innocent. How to say no? That's the subject under discussion. And there are plenty of times in life when you have to say no. Fortunately, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes just plain no is best. But sometimes such a direct no would offend people, cause you to lose your friends, make you seem to disapprove of them. Mr. B saved my freshman year. He let me eat lunch in his art room, providing asylum from the cafeteria. I cleaned up his room and organized his papers in return. Mr. B would often give his car keys to students along with a deli list. The kid took a few bucks from him and drove downtown to grab B a sandwich and a little something for his trouble. He was an accomplished painter with a portrait of James Monroe in the White House. He was this low-key Westwood celebrity, a famous artist disguised as a mild-mannered high school art teacher. His class was so relaxed. Mr. B would give you the art assignment, a due date, and that was it. It was up to you. You didn't come through? Well, then you didn't advance to the higher courses. There was Art 1, Art 2, and Art 3. His class held an annual high school art show at the mall. And if you did your shit, you got to be part of the setup which sprung you from classes to hang out at the mall all day for about three days. I did it all four years of high school and made it to Art 3. I love this guy. No lav breaks until I see your work. You can smoke with the toilet queens and burners later. Davy was one of our class's brashest characters, and she took a little umbrage and yelled back, Hey, I'm a toilet queen. That ain't right. Let me tell you why Davy was so offended. There were rules for going into the high school bathrooms. If you just walked in, often you heard a flurry of cigarettes hitting the toilet water. That pissed off the toilet queens and the burners. Bathroom protocol required a shout out of, it's cool, as you entered. Now this one girl that B just nicknamed Hat because of her Duran Duran fedora, ran up to him with one of her latest masterpieces. Mr. B, what do you think of my portrait of Robert Plant? Mr. B looked at her portrait for about 30 seconds with no expression, then looked at her and said, Take job. Meanwhile, Mr. Powell would often show us slides from where he traveled all over the earth. His goal was to drink on every single continent. His wife would show up in the slides, and he would always give her credit as his secretary. Here you will see the Eiffel Tower with me in the foreground, and my secretary in the background. Isn't that your wife? Shut up. Several times I would pass by Halliday's room to see Stacy sitting in there doing homework instead of going to study hall, often talking with Halliday and laughing like girlfriends. They were such pals. Fear is the response to loud noises or loss of support. Uncle Mo was standing in the back of his room waiting for kids to finish a test. 
I believe that should have been enough time for the answers to have circulated the room to all of you. Anyone not get the answers? No? Good. Pass up your tests. If anyone wishes to let a little something drop on my desk, now is a good time. I sat in Mr. Parna's room one afternoon while he was teaching Hamlet or some shit. Kiri was in that class with Yosh and I. She turned around to face Yosh that afternoon, catching him either daydreaming about her or about the knot off. She raised her shirt, showing her spectacular bare breasts, smiled, and then dropped her shirt back down. Yosh almost choked on his pencil. And that's when Parna's class phone landed on my desk. I looked to my right. Steve was smiling. He delivered it, but it came from far down the end of the row by the classroom door. From Jess, the dark-haired pretty boy who stared at me while I gave my opening day speech. He was smiling now like a Cheshire cat and silently mouthing with exaggeration, out the window, out the window. I took the phone, slid out of my desk while Parna continued to teach with his back to the class, scrawling those endless notes on the board. I walked to the bank of ground floor windows, popped one open, leaned out, and lowered the phone two feet to the grass. I dashed back to my seat, only to find Jess had another item for me. Out the window! You see, Jess was the wannabe pretty bad boy. He got this brand new 1985 Trans Am for his 16th birthday. A $15,000 first car. I don't think we ever talked before Parna's class. I don't think I even heard of him across the middle school Lake Mountain House divide. A film strip projector came my way via assembly line. Jess to Yosh, to Mick, to Steve, to my desk. Parna's coffee mug encyclopedias. You should have seen me with the fucking overhead projector slipping that long neck thing out that window. And then the suitcase sized top loading VCR got passed to my desk. Now how the hell am I getting that outside? Most of all, how the hell did they get that off the TV stand without Parna ever seeing? I looked down the road at Jess. He was mouthing it again with everyone. Out the window! I picked up the VCR tiptoeing to the window. One eye was on Parna, waiting for him to turn around at any time, catching me with this giant electronic box in my arms. But he kept droning on about Hamlet. I bent over, heaved the VCR to the window lip, and leaned out, thinking for sure the weight would pull me through the window, or worse yet, Mick or Steve had set me up to give me a boot in the ass and knock me outside. As I hung out the window, I heard a car in the faculty parking lot. I looked up, and there was Principal Hines cruising by. His eyes were on me, already shaking his head. He was pulling in. Fuck. I plopped the VCR safely to the grass with the rest of Parna's classroom out there. I scrabbled back inside and took my seat. I picked up my pen and pretended to be hard at work just as Parna turned around to address the board of notes he had just scrawled for us. I could see Hines marching under the bus platform toward the school doors. He would be to the classroom in a minute. Sure enough, he was. He appeared in Parna's doorway, leaning, his eyes looking right at me. Mr. Hines, what a surprise. Hines kept his eyes on me as he answered, Hey, Mr. Parna. 
Are you having a yard sale? Heinz walked in, offered a hand for Parna to lead as he guided the English teacher to the window. He silently pointed for Parna to look outside, and he did, taking a moment to process the items all out on the grass, and he let out a squeal. Oh! Heinz pointed to me, motioning with his finger to follow him as he walked back to the door. Parna glared at me. As I walked that green mile, Jess led a silent applause with most of the class. Kiri smiled and blew me a kiss. I met Heinz in the hallway. He shut Parna's door and gave me a look. He shook his head and told me, look, you're class president, act it. I don't need him in my office crying three weeks into the school year. After driver's ed, my mom made me take behind the wheel because of the 10% insurance discount. We met once a week and drove this little turtle-like Chevy Citation. Mr. Morgan was the instructor, and he bore more than a passing resemblance to Lou Costello. Morgan was mellow. He was a winning field hockey coach and one of those teachers who really had no problems with anyone. He just wanted his morning coffee, do his grading, and get the ride done. I had behind the wheel with Tony, and it was a little awkward after we kissed bumpers earlier that summer. We just kissed bumpers? What was that for? I wanted to know. Morgan would get in the back seat. Tony always drove first, and the car was stick. And I swear, every morning at the same time, Spandau Ballet's True came on the radio. This song was playing when we... I remember. Our first stop was the McDonald's drive-in where I used to work. Morgan always wanted his morning coffee for the ride. He paid for it, we passed it back, and then it was out on the road for the next 45 minutes. He would say, spill my coffee, zero for the day. Tony and I talked while she drove and, and Morgan silently graded papers in the back. You know Halladin won Stacey Kimmins to win? Stacy's her spy. Morgan would periodically grumble from the back seat, eyes on the road, Tony. I'm getting Aussie tickets tomorrow. Do you want to come? Really? Isn't Eddie going? We hit these train tracks too hard and too fast. It threw Morgan around the back seat, splashing his coffee all over him. He said nothing, just shook his head and looked for napkins. Back at school, Morgan left the car, coffee and battle stained. Listen, I, I have to work tomorrow. No, I'm on thin ice with my boss. Yeah, no problem. It's cool. I offered her a hug and she took it. I held her under that October sun. She wore a purple, her favorite color, cow neck sweater, and a copy of Judy Bloom's Tiger Eyes was under her arm with her notebook. I'll see you Monday, sis. Have a good weekend, bro. I'm really proud of you. I'll never forget that fall day. The sun, the blue sky, the smell of her hair, the way her ass swayed in those Jordache jeans on her way to her next class, and that damn Spandau Ballet song. It felt good to be young and a teenage boy. The first football game of the year was that Friday night. Coach James was also a biology teacher and one of the funniest and smartest teachers at Westwood. His catchphrase was, get a job. He saw you in the hallway, Michaels, get a job. It was his standard advice and catchphrase. He worked Westwood's football team hard and was the local town legend. He was our Joe Paterno, if you will. 
After the game, he stormed into the locker room not to congratulate the guys on their win, but... Alright, all you jackasses having the contest on who can go the longest without washing your uniforms? I'm having lockers sandblasted this weekend. Now Bob, if you remember Bob, the big-headed football player with the big afro perm, he turned around to Coach James and said, Coach, when's practice tomorrow? 8 a.m., like always, Bob. Can I come a little late? Got a hair appointment, just a touch-up. Bob looked around at everybody, at all the football players staring at him because he had a hair appointment before practice. And Bob replied, What? I'm not going to look like I got a cancer wig. Scalzo slammed his locker hearing this. Bob walked naked into the showers, and Scalzo walked naked to Bob's locker. He opened the door and struggled to pull Bob's helmet free, sat it down on a bench, and plopped his ass on top of it like a commode. Scalzo shit a load right into Bob's helmet. His face showed relief and complete happy satisfaction as his bowels rumbled out wet revenge into that helmet. I didn't go to the game that night. I had to work. And I had to work the matinee shift the next day, which was a Saturday. The movie theater job was the first time I had real contact with serving the public. For any of you who do or have served the public, you know it's a trying experience, to say the least. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. I got questions like this. How much is your $1.50 soda? Or this fucking guy. Large popcorn, really butter it up halfway, then fill it and give it another shot of butter. Lots of butter. A box of Juicy Fruits... Kit Kat, oh, and yeah, uh, get me a large Diet Coke. One guy came up to Calvin and asked, Hey, what do you have to drink? Calvin replied, Coke, Diet Coke, and Sprite. You don't have lemonade? Did I fucking say lemonade? I left work that Friday night, not realizing that everything was about to change. The members-only burners drove by me in their Jeep. They had their metal blaring, and, and I heard them laugh lightly at me. And I got to my Maverick. Headlights fell over me as I went to unlock the car and thought the douchebag burners had come back for more. Instead, I turned to find Jess getting out of his white Trans Am, smiling and giving a wave. What's happening, Cap'n? I don't know why, but I got in the Trans Am. It was a car seduction. Children come and go in this hospital every day. The following scenes show some of the most common accidents that happen to kids. Because they did first and thought last, they ended up in an ambulance like the one here. Jess had Survivor on his state-of-the-art car stereo system. The red dash lights lit the whole car up like a jet's cockpit. Don't spill that. Nothing gets on these seats. Ever. This is your car? Early Christmas present. It's an 85. My dad got it early. What, are you rich? Yeah, my parents are. They own Patriot Candy Outlet up on 611. Well, there's that much money in candy? There's that many stupid people. Like, I was thinking about our class's money issue. You showed you take risks in Parnas class with that VCR. Want to make some money? Aren't you supposed to offer me candy before I get into your car? We came to a stoplight somewhere on Main Street. 
this heap of a 1978 Camaro driven by a guy named Charlie pulled up next to us. The word was Charlie had the fastest car, not just in school, but in the town. He was this scruffy looking snaggletooth kid with tattoos and a pack of cigarettes rolled up in his cut off t-shirt sleeve like some 1950s bad boy. Charlie peeled out and you know who was sitting in the back seat? The members only burners. They flipped us off as Charlie ripped out just as the light turned green. (laughs) Fucking burners. Fuck you! He drove me just outside of town to this beer distributor which was closed for the night. We got out of the car and he opened a bay door to the distributor like he owned the place. Your parents own this place too? No. I know someone who works here. He leaves a few cases that fall off the truck, if you know what I mean. Without questioning, I started helping him move cases of beer and wine coolers into the Trans Am. If you're rich, why do you need to sell stolen beer? Not stolen, misplaced. I can get you beer or wine coolers, bottles, kegs, quarter kegs, whatever, for parties. Charge at the door and give the money to our class. Who throws the parties? You. I get a handling fee. Beat scousels shaking kids down for candy money. Can't we agree that capitalism is an economic system? A system for the production and distribution of things we need and want? I looked at that illegal cargo in the Trans Am, and my mind started to work. No one's coming to any party I throw. Get real. How much do we charge? Five bucks a cup? Whatever. People will pay. Every cup is a profit. Yeah, well, it's still a matter of getting it into the class account. I mean, they're going to ask where it all came from. You work at the movie theater. Didn't you see Risky Business? They made money with hookers. We got Rooster. There has to be a legal basis for any economic system to operate. Well, it's easy to see that you have different ideas of what capitalism is. Maybe we should talk about what it is not. 